That's why I also think it's a setup. Yeah, exactly. I feel like all like, of the bad guys from all the Hardy Boy novels are just like putting on different. They're mustaches. cops. They're just different they, cops. Yeah, from town. they're they're like out of work actors. That crook looks just like my English. You know. Yeah, right. Thanks for listening to part two of the Hardy Boys Drink Book Number Fifteen: The Sinister Signpost, featuring Jose Zuniga. All right. Well, let's get back into it then. So now they go back to Maryland, and Jack Wayne flies in there. Oh, yes. The classic Wait, Jack Wayne. Does Jack Wayne have a freaking job? Like, doesn't he have a... He's retainer for the Hardy family, I feel like. like he, what does he do most he of the time, hangs though? hangs out at the hangar. Probably, yeah. He probably flies around. He probably takes chicks up in the plane and does a few loop-de-loops, and that's a sure thing. It's so dangerous to get in a plane with Jack Wayne, though. I don't know. He does something pretty badass later down the line. Oh, line. yeah, that's true. But in one, in one of the books they hit some turbulence and he bonked his head on the window and passed out and they had to land the plane themselves oh no because he bonked his head (laughs) well (laughs) but anyway so they show up and there's a shifty looking fellow at aunt gertrude's inherited stable oh that's right oh i I thought that was fowler no fowler's off shooting oh yeah he's shooting in the distance yeah he's uh he's uh shooting clay pigeons or something and then they question him about Top Notch, the horse that was stolen. Right. And uh, he's like, I've never heard of Top Notch. I've got business, important things to do. I can't be distracted right now. Clearly, he can take the time to shoot a few clay pigeons. Yeah, he's, he's, he's using his leisure time. That's right. But now, now I can't be distracted. Which is also ultimately suspicious. If it wasn't suspicious, they're detectives. Aunt Gertrude got a telegram that said she inherited retired stables, yeah. retired horse horses and stables and land and property from a friend she didn't even remember that she had who also had no heirs yeah and then a, a famous racehorse goes missing and that's the first place they're gonna come check. on hardy boys <laughs> put it you together this stupid i think it's after fowler disappears right yeah fowler leaves and we get another leaping lizard another leaping lizard we, we, well because they pick up one of his rifle cartridges oh that's right and and they found one after the smoke grenade that's the smoke grenade and, and they're a crime lab right so they go to the crime lab they compare them microscopically and it's a perfect match perfect match yeah but Four batman reconstructed a shattered bullet from inside a brick and got fingerprints off of it if yeah, batman and, can do and it, do you think that would hold up in court him. That's, guess, why he's that's why he's Batman. Yeah. <laughs> but the Hardy Boys don't have any jurisdiction. No, they have no they're like minors. Working with the police and interrogating suspects and interrogation. We want to ask you a few questions. And they do this across no. state lines. I know. Like yeah. they're from New York, but then later they interrogate prisoners in Vermont. In Virginia <laughs> and, and Virginia. Maryland. Like they have no jurisdiction in any of these places. Let's go to Vermont. That's why I feel like it's um, loose. That's why it's all set up. Yeah, so they after actually I got to a point here where I was like, hey, what about their race cars? Yeah, right. <laughs> like I kind of wanted to check back in with that, but they decide that they're that. So they go and Fowler just... slash Dodson because we find out that his name is actually Dodson, right? Right. So they go to Mister Alden's, Alden's house, yeah. and he's like, "Well, I have to pay the ransom. I'll pay the fifty thousand dollars." Yeah, I, I just want, want that horse back. I care so much about Top Dodge. I think it's more the breeding potential of a prize racehorse. I mean, That's I can see that. Yeah, they're at his house and. He doesn't even inquire as to where Roger is. No. But he really cares about the top-notch business. And and then Frank looks up at some photographs on the wall and suddenly has this big moment. And that's another Sherlock Holmes reference. Right. In Hound of the Baskervilles, Sherlock Holmes is like in the middle of a dinner conversation and looks at a painting on the wall and is like, holy shit, Pauls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're oh, related to this guy. You know that guy? Yeah. yeah. So, so surprise, surprise, Mr. Fowler 
at the retired horse stables is the cousin of Mr. Alden, right? Right, and they and they're enemies. And remember earlier when they were like, "Do you have anybody that you any have? enemies?" And he's like, and he's "I mean, like, I'm a famous millionaire." No, I mean there was this one employee, but I can't think of anybody else. Oh, my cousin! Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he uh, <laughs> he definitely. But it's basically like the classic extended family thing. Didn't he like give him a bunch of money and a job, and then he's like, came and yeah, asked he, for yeah, more. Yeah, and he wanted more, and then and he wanted to have a racehorse stable, and he had he got him one in Maryland. Yeah, and then he's like, I want to. He was it. like, I want more money, and he was like, No. And they're like, well, do you have any idea where he can be? He's like, well, he does own a bunch of land in Vermont. In Vermont. He owns a ton of land. And they're like, well, let's go to Vermont and check out this criminal's land. So Jack Wayne spins up the propeller again. Yep, flies him out there. They see a sign that says that when they get out there and land and get out, I guess, to the farm. There's no transit in this, though. No. They just go up and they go well, it's down. Highway 15. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's Highway 15. Name. A few. Oh, yeah, they were 12 miles north of Haversville. Mm-hmm. They never go back to Haversville, I guess. But they see a sign that says private property, no trespassing, and they're like, let's check it out. This must be Dodson's land, right? <laughs> they see a no trespassing sign, and they're like, that sounds this like is it. only a criminal wouldn't want strangers trespassing on their <laughs> land. They find a cabin, and I wrote, criminals go to cabins. Criminals do go to cabins. Because in the Hardy Boys, whenever there's a cabin, there's either criminals there or there's criminals that have just been there. They don't see anybody. They wait. They stake it out. They go in the cabin. They go into. They break into the cabin. There's it's. It, there's not a lot of dust, and there's canned food. Suddenly, the boys heard the voices of men in the distance. Someone's coming. Joe said excitedly. Sounds as if they're approaching from the woods behind the cabin. Let's get out of here. Frank said. The boys dashed through the door and across the clearing to the edge of the woods. They took cover in a clump of thick brush. A moment later, three men appeared around the corner of the cabin. That tall guy is the one I tailed from the restaurant in Clayton. Joe whispered. And we met the short one at the Southern Pine Stables when we were there to see Dodson. Frank hissed. Neither of the Hardys recognized the third man, who remarked, Dodson would nail us to a wall if he knew we were coming to the cabin. I'm hungry. Another said, I can't wait till dark to get some of that canned food. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) What's the canned food? It's like, take the canned canned food into the woods with you, all of it. Why is any of it at the cabin? You should show up at the cabin and be like, nobody's been here in months. (laughs) No, they're camped out in the woods, like, like a mile away. You gotta wait till dark. And specifically canned food. Also, who really wants canned food? Want some more of that canned food. Come on. You think they'd say something like, I want some more of that, the only food we have. Like, <laughs> so, like, why wouldn't you just say food? <laughs> why is it, why do you have to single out that it's canned? Delicious canned food. Like, if I know that I have nothing but canned food, I'll be like, oh, do you want some beans? Or do you, do you want you, some canned beans? Do you want some spam? I'm not like, do you want some canned beans? I know you know it's canned because we've been I'm eating here it. together. <laughs> Idiots. It's, and so then Joe runs up to overhear what they're saying, and he falls Both. through the porch. <laughs> the rotted wood of the porch. So he's stuck waist deep, and then all the crooks just come out. And they're like, oh. But don't they get away? They get in a, no, they get in a fight. Okay, yep. And, and uh, Frank judos somebody he over his judo. shoulder. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. And judo. But it's also judo fashion, so once again, I'm picturing him in this, like, <laughs> sleek Japanese. He makes takes time to change. <laughs> you know? They also allowed Joe to climb out from between the planks. I mean, he's literally trapped in the planks. He can't escape before the men get outside. And then the men show up, and they're, like, kind of, I don't know, stare at him until he climbs out. And then they get in a fight. 
Stu- yeah. Stupidest criminal. No, ever. punch him while he's trapped. And then Dodson runs up, and then he's like, hold it! And then he pats his rear pocket significantly. I don't know what the fuck that's all about, but it definitely shuts the fight down. Like, I'm just picturing him, like, advertising sex work. Like, like hey, boys, <laughs> do you want some of this? Everything screeches like, to a halt. And Wait. then... The, Oh, boss, are we going to rape these boys? (laughs) Whoa, no. The line is, hi, boss. One of the men said nervously, we came to get some canned food (laughs) and caught a a couple of snoopers. Oh, Oh. God. And then what? I I mean, it's presumed that, I don't know, there's a gun in his back pocket or something. I guess that's what it's supposed to be. I don't know. They send some guy to pick up the ransom or deliver the ransom demand. And then it's also mentioned that the police have gone out to this land before the Hardy Boys got here. And yeah, and didn't it. find anything. But then the Hardys were marched along what appeared to be a very narrow trail through the woods. Actually, they saw it was a wide dirt road cleverly covered with brush. So those have to be like either the laziest or the stupidest. They didn't go out there. No. They didn't go out there. They, they said they said did, they but they were like, who cares? They forgot. There's a horse trailer under a camouflage net. A camouflage net is great. And top notches inside. It's covering a horse van. No shit, Frank. So, like, <laughs> mystery solved. The book is over. We can go home. Top notch is in the there. These are the crooks. <laughs> um, the hooves have been dyed chestnut. Yes, another Sherlock Holmes reference. Yep. There it is. And then Dodson is like, this animal has been living like a king. Oh, first he has one of his crooks, and he's like, Beaver, call Kurt and tell him to go get the ransom. Right. And they're like, right. Be- one of them's Beaver. One of them's called Beaver. One of them's called Kurt. So then the guys get, the boys get tied up. Yeah, that's true. And there he's like, just relax and let them tie us up. And then Frank's like, oh, yeah. And then he takes a huge gulp of air, which they've done before, expanding his rib cage and his shoulders and tenses all his muscles while they tie him up. And I imagine one of the crooks would have just punched him hard in the stomach. <laughs> they should have just shot the kids. I know. Once again, there's just nobody around. Nobody knows that they're the here. Woods. Yeah. You know, like, just they're shoot him in Vermont. Leave him in the woods. Jack Wayne's just hanging out, waiting, being like, they must have gotten involved in something. I'm going to fly back to Bayport. <coughs> no, actually, Jack, I think, does show he up. He does they, show up. Yeah, they say, if you don't hear from us in two hours, send the police. So, but before... They get tied up with the they horse. They get tied up with the horse, and, and so they're all... And there's a wonderful illustration. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, they're like, let's make a ton of noise. And they'll because they un, they get untied obviously yeah, they get untied them and then they relax they relax they relax yeah. and then the ropes and the just ropes fall just off. fall right off once again why it's a setup to me yeah, yeah. it's like so <laughs> obvious that time. these are like rich kids who aren't all there yeah and their dad is just trying to keep them occupied if anybody's ever seen the movie The Brothers Bloom that's what I think of uh, so so they, anyway they get off the ropes and their solution is to um, make a lot of noise. So that the bad guys will open the door. Classic prisoner ruse. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was either that or fake one of them being sick. Right. Anyway, um, they climb on top notch and the doors open up and they race the racehorse out. Wouldn't it have been great if they would have been like, yeah, and top notch would have stood still. It would have been great. What, <laughs> is, what is almost as good is that they race the racehorse out. They make it about 100 yards and then top notch stops <laughs> running. And they, like, jump off just in time to see Dodson take a small object from his pocket and throw it toward them. Looks like a tear gas bomb! Frank yelled. Oh, yeah. Joe darted ahead, caught the object, and then tossed it back at their captors. Why didn't Frank do that earlier? (laughs) If you have time. I don't know. Though, there was a time where a grenade got thrown into uh, into their office, and they ran up and they grabbed it and they threw it back out the window. 
and then it didn't go off, and they're like, must have been a dud. And then they went out in their lawn, and they kicked it around a bit <laughs> to make sure it was a dud. <laughs> to make sure it was a dud. So uh, the bad guys get tear gassed, and then yeah, yeah, they, the get they get back to the horse. They ride to Jack Wayne. Jack Wayne has come with the cavalry because right. it's been he. It hasn't even been two hours, but he, but he was got worried. nervous. Yeah. yeah, he was Deus Ex worried. Yeah, exactly. These kids need cell phones. <laughs> yeah, right. um, so many problems in this book would have been solved by Poor. cell phones. I wonder if Mrs. Hardy is still waiting for them to check in every fifteen minutes. <laughs> to see if she's she still just like you. on Valium with like a martini, like <laughs> sitting next to the phone, waiting for it to ring. Oh, I love it. Um, let's see. So the, <laughs> The crooks get put under arrest because the cops are there. Yes. And then they would look, go looking for Beaver because Beaver was sent to, to tell the ransom instructions. To go on, use the nearest phone, which is a pay phone that's miles away. So they go down after the, the Beaver and they, the, go, they pull go up. Be- beaver hunting. They go beaver it? hunting. They pull up in a, in a patrol car and <laughs> Beaver's very first words upon seeing the Hardy Boys and a police officer in a patrol car are, what's this? How did you kids escape? Like self-incrimination, like stupidest. Not like what's going on here. I've never seen these kids before in my Can life. Can I help you, officer? Can I help you, officer? No, it's how did you kids escape? Save your breath. <laughs> You'll soon have enough talking to do. So they interrogate everybody for a while, but nobody's uh, letting anything out. Yeah, th- there's a guy named Kurt who's going to go to the bus terminal and pick up the ransom money, and that's um, and they know that that's going to happen later, and they say that. What is it? Kurt is in for a surprise when he arrives at the bus terminal to, uh, tonight. He'll have quite a reception party waiting for him. But then don't they have to trap Kurt? Well, they don't know what Kurt looks like. Oh, that's right. They don't know what Kurt so, looks like. So there's all these plainclothes officers and everybody. Which, this they're, they're in Vermont. They're mm-hmm. out. If they had jurisdiction, they're way out of yeah, it. Yeah, they're in. But uh, Is it a different police force? Yeah. It's a completely different police force. And um, so they're waiting in Vermont. And then Kurt gets out of a car and... Oh, Frank's idea. And Frank's is great. idea is like, uh, "Hi, Kurt." And Kurt goes, "Hi, <laughs> who are you?" And then the young detective yells, "You're under arrest!" <laughs> <laughs> like what? And then everybody rushes up, and and they got him, and everybody's in jail. I just put a frowny face and put lame. I know. Like, so I dumb. have an idea. None of the cops thought of that to be like, "Excuse me, are you Kurt?" Or "Hi, Kurt." None of them thought of that. Um, so Alden has shown up to take time. And then they search, they search his car with no warrant. That's another do. thing, too. They just, they're like, it's probably, the ransom money's probably in his car. Well, they would have probable cause. I guess that's true. Because they know they're looking for somebody named Kurt. Yep. Kurt. And they, that they, he has ransom money. They have reasonable suspicion. They don't need a warrant at that point. But still, I was like, the fact that I think it's Joe, that Joe, who's not a police officer, is the one who runs up to his car and opens the door and digs around in it. That's why I also think it's a setup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like all like, of the bad guys from all the Hardy Boy novels are just like putting on different they're mustaches. They're cops. They're just different they, cops from yeah, town. Yeah, they're, they're like out of work actors that crook looks just like my english you teacher. know yeah, right so they so get the Mr. ransom back yeah so they get the ransom back alden shows up to pick up top, top notch which he's super excited about the next chapter uh chapter 15 is called a plea for help which is i think is right should be like the roger story the roger alden story it is the roger alden story yeah absolutely because so they they interrogate dodson right he doesn't tell them much but he tells them everything. And then Dodson's like, I don't know anything about him. Because now we're back to cars. That Your moment. Yeah, where they were like, the horses? Riders. I don't want to talk about horses. What? I want to talk about race cars. Finally, this horse nonsense is out of the way. Yeah. We, we, Look, we you just, got the horse. We finished telling our story within a story. 
that's completely unrelated to the action we spent the first 50 pages setting up. And uh, so nobody knows anything about the motor. They fly back home. And then there's this random moment where Chet shows up on his rocket bicycle. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I got a rocket bike now. <laughs> yeah. I just like, wrote, Chet, you're so cool. <laughs> he is so cool. He's so cool. And the thing is, is that it kind of works. Yeah, he blasts along. Um, and then he ends up in a hedge because he doesn't know how to control it. Right? Yeah, he can't stop. Like face down in a hedge. Also, again, Joe yells. They're like driving the car next to him while he's on the rocket bike, which is the most dangerous thing to do. That's how the Hardy Boys ran over Chet. Uh, But Joe yells at him, cut off the motor. And I'm like, Chet can't hear you. (laughs) You idiot. Stop it. Stop having these conversations from vehicle to vehicle while you're both traveling at high speeds. (laughs) Then Chet is like. He's just got a few scrapes, which does not seem realistic. I've no. watched enough Jackass in my life to, to know, know that, that he's if you got like strap bone, a rocket to a bone bicycle, sticking you've out of have his... something broken. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, have you seen he... Johnny Knoxville lately? Yeah, he, he looks, looks like a, a he walking looks like, mummy. Um, yeah, he looks like Johnny Depp does now. Yeah. like just a mess. <laughs> he looks um, like Johnny Depp and a California raisin. Had a yeah, baby. had a baby. Oof. But I always like he didn't even make the second page in the newspaper in this one. No. Um, well, no one was around to see. That's it. true. Just the Hardy Boys, and they're sure not going to give. So that credit. tangent is done. Chet but and then, his rocket bicycle. But then, yeah, that's just over. And then Roger calls them. This is Roger. The caller announced. He seemed frightened. I've got to see you right away, but I don't want to come to your home. Meet me at the municipal parking lot in Bayport. The boys finished eating and then drove off to rendezvous with Alden's son. They found him seated in his car. At Roger's request, the boys climbed into the rear seat. What is this all about? Frank demanded. You must help me, the young man pleaded. Help you? Joe snapped. Why should we? I'm in terrible trouble, Roger said shakily. I was in on the theft of Top Notch, but I didn't know the horse was to be held for ransom. Why did you get involved? Frank asked. I wanted revenge for the way my father has been treating me. Makes Perfect sense, Roger. Perfect sense. I totally understand. It's all going to be okay, and we're going to get you away from these bad men. But no, they just keep interrogating him. They don't let him off the off the hook at all. No. Um. Basically, it turns out that Roger thought that they were going to like pretend to steal the horse just because his uncle or his dad's cousin, yeah, like was pissed at him too, and he's like, "Yeah, we're both pissed at my dad. Let's make him think that his horse has been stolen." Yeah. But then they beat up that groom. Like the horse, the guy manning the stable, and they tied him up, and Roger was like, oh, crap, this shit's for real. <laughs> yeah, right. So, These guys are bad guys. And then as soon as if he realizes they're bad disguises it, and clandestine meetings in restaurants weren't enough to convince me first. So he goes, yeah, he meets him in a restaurant, and he like, and they made him meet him there, and they tell him not to talk, otherwise that he would see that Roger went to jail with them. And, and then he's like, apparently when Roger, when Dodson, who is also Fowler, got kidnapped... He, or got, not kidnapped, when he got arrested, he's, the only clue that he gave was, why don't you ask Mr. Alden's son about it? Yeah. And, like, threw Roger right under, under the, the experimental race poor, car. Poor Roger. And, uh, right under the experimental race car, that's right. But he's like, oh, as soon as you told me that he mentioned my name, I was like, oh, it's over. I'm in so much trouble. I better tell somebody before I get in trouble. And they're like, a wise decision. I'm like, this is not a bad kid. They, they literally, yeah, they literally have a moment at the end of the chapter two where it's like, Roger's completely changed. And then Frank says, he's scared. And it's a good thing. Maybe, Maybe we'll teach him a lesson, bastard. Jerks. <laughs> All right, let's do another, another bingo check. Do you okay. get your bingo? I do. I'm going to count this bike as a new vehicle. Okay. 
You're going to count that as a new vehicle? Which means that because... Oh, actually, and there were plane rides where nothing bad happened. Do you have that one? I don't think Usually any time they get in a plane, something bad happens, so I decided to make it a, a square. But this, they have both bad things and nothing. Yeah. Did Mrs. Hardy leave the house yet? No. 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 No actual injury. Oh, the boys did get tied up. Uh, yeah, I got that one. No, uh, no, uh, no bingos for me. How are you doing? I I'm have doing. Where I'm like one or two squares away. Yeah, if I get Mrs. Hardy leaves the house and a cult, which is not a, happening in yeah. this one. Yeah, a um, shipwreck. I need a shipwreck. All right. Roger just Roger and confesses, for and help. then and don't they, they find out it, that like that it will teach him a lesson? It'll teach him a lesson, yeah. and he's yeah, it's, it serves, serves him, right. him right for getting involved with crooks just to get his dad to talk to him. But now, major twist: Dodson has escaped from prison. He escaped from, like, they were moving him from one jail to another yeah, or something? Yeah, and we get our fifth Leaping Lizards. Leaping Lizards. Our fifth, our leaping f- fifth lizard. and final, yeah. Yeah. Or there might be another. might be the fourth one. I'm not sure. Okay, well, I, I put numbers by them. Yep, no, it's five. Fifth Leaping Lizards. Yep, that's exactly what caused Mr. Alden's race crash. So, basically, they were in a patrol car, and they had um, they had Mr. Dodds in the back because they were moving him to a county jail. And yeah. the windshield suddenly went crazed, and it got ran off the road. Um, because, again, the driver, like, I've never understood this. Why, if you lost vision, would you whip your arms back and forth real hard and drive into the ditch? Like, if you've ever grown up anywhere in the Midwest, you know that if you get a whiteout and you can't see the road, you take your foot off the accelerator. Right. And you just hold straight. <laughs> unless you know a turn's coming up. But the main thing is you take your foot off the accelerator and you just, like, gradually slow down. Gradually slow down. Pull over to the shoulder. Right, exactly. Maybe radio for help. Because yeah. you're a police officer in sure. a police car. No, just I, whip your arms back and forth as hard as you can until you run into the, oh, God, I can't I see. I feel like that's a movie trope, you know? Yeah. Even going back to, like, old classic Hollywood. Yeah. Like, something would happen vaguely to the car, and they'd be like, ah! <laughs> you know, off the boulevard of broken <laughs> dreams, down, yeah. down to a fiery Ventrilo death boulevard. It's kind yeah. of like arrows in movies. Right. Where it's like instant death like you take oh, an arrow on the shoulder and where you're that dead. would take like, like six no. hours and you could probably survive if yeah, you got an medical arrow, treatment depending right on where they got you that's why we use guns and not bows and arrows anymore. right exactly Hawkeye. yeah so they go home and they tell on gertrude that mr fowler the guy who's been running the stable that she, that just she inherited, inherited was like a bad guy and she's like horse snappers ransom money it's all too horrible to imagine and then they're like, but good news, the lawyer sold the land. And I'm like, wait, so Mr. Fowler's plan was to own land what? and a stable for retired horses and then fabricate documents so that the Hardy's aunt could inherit the land? Why? Don't, and, don't connect them to this. And then really sell the land? That, what? <laughs> Is there like a chart with photographs? Like classic bad guy chart with like weird... Like, did I, you write this down? I don't like. I just feel like he approached the lawyer and gave him a bunch of wink winks about how he wanted him to handle this transaction. <laughs> and then the the lawyer thought he had like a facial tick and just literally did the thing. Like Mr. Fowler. Okay, he lost everything. Okay, so Mr. Fowler. Okay, <laughs> Dodson wanted money from his distant cousin. Yeah, to keep his failed stables running. Running. It didn't happen. So then he decided to sell this. He threatened the Hardy Boys with his rifle grenade, and then he decided to <laughs> sell give their, the stables to Aunt Gertrude. To, yeah, not to Fenton, who would have been like that suspicious, but to Aunt Gertrude, who's like, just deal with it. And then 
give it to a lawyer who's taking it seriously. Yeah. And then he wanted to steal Top Notch and ransom Top Notch for $50,000 in order to buy back the stables he already owned? Yeah. What is going on? (laughs) He's like, he makes me think of like Joe Bluth, like taking the forget me nows. Like the, the like, but wait, why do you need to kidnap a horse when you're already using the whole selling of the property to make money? And he's like, selling the property? I'm not doing that. I don't want to sell the property. Because it says a bunch of times that Mr. Fowler wants to buy the property. He just can't get the money together. Yeah. And I'm like. Doesn't he own it? Because <laughs> he doesn't. I, yeah, I have no idea. How does it get to Aunt Gertrude without raising any red flags? So Dotson escapes. Dotson escapes, and then they find out that somebody has stolen the experimental race car. Yes. And that it's Barto Sigor. And I'm like, Barto? Barto. And then. They're like the twin? Yeah. The, the one twin who quit? <laughs> yeah. Surely not. <laughs> they're like, what if Barto was. What if his twin was impersonating him? And they're like, no, but he's a sheet metal worker. And the other one went to university. That's not possible. Are you insane? And I'm like, it's Vilno. It's Vilno. It's Vilno. But then they decide, they contact Jack Wade and they're like, let's get up in the air. And we can. Yeah, so they they fly a plane to the plant. They climb on the plant. Somebody steals a high-powered, a turbine-powered race car. And they're like, we got to catch it before it gets away. Let's fly a plane here. We'll land it on the, we'll land it by the plant in this big empty field. And then we'll see if we can find it from the air. Yeah, so they go up in the air. And they're going to... And they do! They, <laughs> they do, do find it from it. the air. They're like, it's silver and has a, has a uh, iconic shape. And so they see it from the air. And then all of a sudden, the windows of the airplane go milky white. They get crazed. They get crazed. They get crazed. But here's the other thing, too. They don't just see the car. Jack decides to do, like, a low approach. Like, he comes <laughs> right over the top of the treetops, coming right at this car. And if this was not the right car, that motorist would be having a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, God. Like, oh, my God, there's a plane <laughs> coming right at me. Then Barto gets out of the car and aims something at the plane, and then the windows get crazed. Yeah. And then, so they're flying blind, and I'm like... First, I thought it was, I, I misread or wasn't paying attention, and I thought there was just cloud cover because it said the windows went milky white. <laughs> and I was like, Jack Wayne can't fly in the clouds? Um, but, but anyway, it turns out that all the windows are damaged. So Jack yells, I veered off course slightly. I just managed to clear the trees. And then they almost hit another plane, which the odds of that are so minuscule. And they are upstate New York. Yeah. Flying around in a prop plane. In the 1950s. And they almost hit another one. And, they're, and and Jack knows immediately what it is. They can't see anything, but like the plane gets slightly bumped. Yeah, and he's like, and oh, he's we like, almost hit another That's plane. That's another airplane. Even though we're right above the treetops. Couldn't, couldn't have been a possibly tall pine or something. But they get talked down by air traffic control. Let's see, they, they land somewhere, and they're like, I'll call Dad at Mr. Alden's office and see if he can arrange for us to get a search warrant. Because they're going to they're gonna go search Bartow's apartment. Frank and Joe are going to get a search warrant. Yeah, because that's that's why it's fake. Like they're gonna show up at the judge's office, and they just don't realize that that's the curator's office, <laughs> and it's the curator who identified the bushes that apparently only grow but, in Virginia. But he's wearing like glasses now, right? He's got like horn rimmed glasses on. It's like I'm the and, judge. Like, a, a hat, yeah. and they're like. We need a search warrant. And he's like, here you go, hardy boys. Now get out of here, you little scamps. And then, like, as soon as they're gone, he, like, pops a cigarette. And he's like, man, I am not getting paid enough for this. But then Joe is like, oh, our car is back at the auto plant. And Jack's like, just use my car. 
Well, here's the here's the other thing too. Everybody lets everybody use each other's cars all the time. Right, and it, uh, this is this is going back after the windows get crazed on the plane and they land. Yeah, Jack it, landing. It, it inspects the windows and he says it looks like something has upset the molecular structure of the material of the windows. I'm sorry, you're a pilot. <laughs> also, what the fuck kind of technology can do that? Yeah, and this will get to my. Yeah, my, the whole the my main favorite reason point. why yeah. these crooks are so stupid. Let's see. They go to the apartment. Everything's been emptied. He's clearly cleaned it out. Uh, yeah, obviously. So, so the uh, experimental race car has been stolen. The the stolen horse has been taken back. But there's going to be another race. Right. They do find a new note at Bartow's apartment, though. Oh, a new letter. You're a new right. letter. Yeah. yeah, and it's also weird. Can I read the weird yes, letter? Yes, absolutely. Dear Bartow. I'm sorry to hear that your brother had trouble with his employer and moved on. Perhaps the strain of his labors was too much for him. I wish you could visit me. I'm still operating my old mansion as a restaurant. One night I had 40 customers. They came from miles around. However, I have competition about two miles north of my place. It's called the Claymore. Tonight I intend to go there to see how well they are doing. It is located just off the main highway. I must go now, since it is getting late, and I always make a point of retiring by 12. Right soon, your friend, Eric. And Joe's like, I wonder who Eric is. Who cares who Eric is? Go to this place. Well, the first letter said, Dear Eric. Yeah. Yeah, didn't it? I feel yeah, like it did. Yeah, it did. It did say, Dear Eric. And then, and then the they're other now friend. finally wondering who Eric is. Wait, who's Eric? <laughs> yeah, they didn't inspect that. But they also find some carbon paper. That's true. And they use the carbon paper to turn to find out that there is a secret code. And that the carbon paper is like it only it, when they it only shows some words and not other words when they and they can tell by using it as a right. cracking right they they crack the, it surprise yeah they crack the code the letters have a code in them but they don't do that yet there's a, oh, there's a little thing that happens so what happens before they that? go home and Aunt Gertrude is like oh thank goodness that place is sold oh yeah like uh, I feel like she's like. I hope the new owner is an expert in caring for horses. And they're like, ah, oh, you didn't I, like the horses. So apparently somebody did buy the stable. So Dobson's fucked himself really hard. And uh, <laughs> it's just so dumb. And uh, then Chet shows up and he's got new, he's got model rockets. Oh, yeah. That he's, he's going to mount on his bicycle. Yeah, he's got model rocket engines that he's going to mount on his bicycle. And, and he's like, well, tomorrow I'm going to show you the grand test. And, and they're like, Get out of here, Chad. <laughs> uh, he says, yeah, these are jet engines, and I didn't even have to build them myself like you could. The hobby shop sells these units for model planes and boats. What boats have jet engines on them? <laughs> what model boats have jet engines <laughs> About on them? four of them will produce enough thrust to propel my bike. Didn't you and then they say, if you insist on going ahead with the project, just make sure there are plenty of hedges around for you to fall into. Like, it's so supportive. Yeah. Although I would, I would strongly caution my friends if... If they yeah, definitely. Wanted to get on, um, and then they have. Then pie. there's a race. Yeah, they have oh, a pie, yeah. and then there's a race. But they know the race is coming, so the car has been stolen, right? The horse has been returned. Yeah, all these loose threads are. Co- Dodson screwed himself because yeah, he and- really sold his land after giving <laughs> it to Aunt Gertrude without getting any money for it. <laughs> and we know that Bartow and Vilno, surprise, surprise, have been working together the whole time. Those yeah. sneaky foreigners. <laughs> sneaky twin brother foreigners happen uh, to be working together. And there's going to be another race. And it's the windows might get crazed. That's yeah. right. Frank and Joe's plan is that they're going to drive their car around the, the route of the racetrack in the middle of the night with their lights off 
so that nobody um, sees them do it. And I'm like, that's so dangerous. That Don't so do dangerous. that. Like a normal person might run into you. They come up to a sharp like turn and then they hear voices and they recognize them as Dodson and Bartow's voices. And, Bartow! The man exclaimed. There's a car parked beyond the bend. It wasn't there before. Maybe it's the police! Dodson sputtered. I don't think so. Bartow argued. They would have driven up and asked us if we were what we were doing here. He turned to his pals. Spread out and start searching the area. There must be snoopers around. The men took out flashlights and began walking down the road toward the Hardys. What'll we do? Joe said. Your only chance is to make a break for it. Frank decided. Head for the car. There will be only one man to get past. Okay, what? Like, one, I, the whole, like, look around, there must be snoopers. I'm like, what if there isn't snoopers? And you guys are just, like, <laughs> kicking around the grass with your flashlights. Also, you're a bunch of people out in a place where cops know suspicious activity is going on, sweeping flashlights <laughs> the, across the field. The cops aren't here. The Hardy boys are the one checking out the risk track. The cops, I don't know, are eating donuts somewhere. Yeah, they have Yeah, they have no involvement in this. Once again, why it is a setup, right? Like, yeah. Because the, the real the, cops are probably like, oh, yeah. Oh, look out there. They, they, oh, I think they caught him. Good for them. Nice word. Um, but, yeah, so then they run past this one guy. They knock him to the ground. They jump behind the steering wheel. They drive the car away. They do a slick. A U-turn. They do a slick trick where there's, like, a little side road. Yeah. And they're being chased by another car. So they, like, pull off to the side road and, like, shut the lights out. And, and the, the car, car drives, like, past drives past them. That never would work. I never. But it works for a little it bit. It works for a little so bit. So they're right. able to get out, but they they have a flat tire. And you know what I realized? It's because they were driving on a donut this whole time. At the very beginning oh, of right. the book, they, lo- they lose a tire and they put on their spare. And then they and now never they have a flat because they're going off-road. I'm like, they, And they don't have a spare. That's right. Uh, yeah, so they... And then one of the crooks is like, I remembered that we passed a little road back there. I'm glad I remembered that. Because <laughs> yep. I assumed that, yeah, there's their car. <laughs> so they climb a tree yeah. right next to the convertibles. And, and they're safe. They're safe. Yeah. They are not found by the criminals. Nobody the criminals looks up. do punch holes in their gas tank so they, they can't get out. So they have to walk six or seven miles that way uh, back to town. But then they get met by Alden and Fenton. And they were like, you must be tired. They saw them with the sinister signpost. Oh, yeah. Saying danger. These crooks had the sinister danger signpost that is much thicker than a normal sign. When they went back, the signpost was gone. Just a little hole. Yeah. But then, twist of twists, and the the thing you never thought would happen, Roger gets kidnapped, and Alden actually gives a shit. (laughs) He actually cares. That is such Alden is at the kidnapped. point of collapse. And then he's like, if Vilno and his game want my motor that badly, I'll give it to them. That's all Roger wanted to hear. I know. That's all he wanted to hear. Maybe is he, that maybe is he's it, the mastermind. Maybe he was behind the He was behind the whole thing. He knew that something like this had to happen. Something. He's, yeah. He was playing the long game. But I need to I need to know that my that I am more important to my dad than his cars. So the Hardy Boys go back. They have no idea. They have no leads. They don't know where Roger is. They crack the code, though. They do. They, they're like two pieces of carbon copy paper. That's suspicious. And I've never used a typewriter, so I don't know how many pieces of carbon copy paper would be suspicious. But apparently the Hardy Boys do. Yeah, when they read the, the uncoded message, it says, Hardy, sons of detective, here. I'm sure they're investigating. And uh, I was like, you didn't need a code for that. Oh, here's the deal. It gives you how certain words only show up on the the paper. So yeah, Hardy's son of sons of detective here. I'm sure they're investigating. And then moved lab to old mansion, forty miles north of Clayton, on Route 12. So, not a very good code. No, because they cracked it. Code. 
So they know that Aunt Gertrude and Mother won't be... They're going to go stake out the hideout. Yes. But then he's like, okay, but since Mother and Aunt Gertrude won't get home from the theater till late, I'll ask Chet to stand by the phone here. Yeah. He can tell Dad where we are if he should call. So Chet just has to hang out at the Hardy Boys house by their phone. <laughs> I know. That's so mean to Chet. Waiting for somebody to call. And then he's like, I'm taking my bike to a secret spot early tomorrow morning. It's ready for a supreme test. And I was like, and I bet Frank was going to be like, that's not the book we're doing, Chet. Yeah. We're not doing your rocket bike book. Stop trying to make the rocket bike happen, Chet. It's not going to happen. We've got a mystery to solve. Sit by that phone. Sit by that phone. Wait for my dad to call. And when he asked, tell him we went to a vague mansion somewhere. God, you fat piece of shit. Bye, Chet. See ya. (laughs) See ya. Glad you could be a part of the mystery. So they go up to this mansion, um, which definitely needs to be added to... Mansions need to be added to bingo. Mansions, yeah. Let's see. They look inside. They see a physics or electronics laboratory inside. Yes. They yes. know they know what that looks like. Yes, and they uh, they see Vilno, Barto, and Dodson. Yeah, all the bad guys are there. Um, but then somebody sneaks up on them. Oh yeah. And Frank punches him. Right. But somebody else is there, and then the boys can't move. The boys They're are frozen. frozen. Yeah. Some powerful invisible force is holding them. Which is like, I'm like, wait, this is something outside the realm of the Hardy Boys universe. No, it's not. Force fields. There's an explanation. Right. There's an explanation. They're caught in a sonic trap. That's right. You'll get caught in a sonic trap yourself, Tadlow. I don't know who Tadlow is. I must be the guard. Okay. And then they're like, how do you like our little sonic trap? So how do you like our little sonic trap, Mr. Powers? Bartow sneered. <laughs> and he says, it's another of Vilno's inventions, a device which encloses objects within a solid shell of hypersonic vibrations. Your father had the honor of experiencing its effects. They have a goddamn tractor beam? So, yeah, here's the thing. This is the ultimate reason that the criminals in this story are stupid. It's not the fake mustaches and the turned-up collars. It's not the, like, startling confessions in front of police. It's not the confusing kidnapping of horses and children. And then no. selling... no. It is that this guy has a sonic trap that is capable of immobilizing human beings. Yeah. And and it's explained by him that the signpost marked danger has a sonic weapon in it that is capable of disrupting the molecular structure of glass. And he somehow is unemployed, poor, and doesn't have contracts like with DARPA. Like... If the government is interested in Alden's motor because it goes fast, why are they not talking to this guy who literally, like, sonic traps that can immobilize people? Think of the military application. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, we could freeze that whole army. This is the Cold War. This guy could make millions of dollars. He could stop missiles in midair. He could craze their guidance systems with his sonic beam. And then he says, your plane was the first object on which I tried the portable version of my hypersonic generator. He got out of a car, pointed a handheld device at them. And crazed the windows of the plane. Of an airplane. This is at a time period where they didn't have ICBMs. That that nukes were flown on bombers. Like, this is revolutionary You're going to save the world or or destroy it. Star Trek nonsense. This guy should be worth... Billions of dollars in defense contracts. And then they make it... So then they explain... For some reason, they feel the need to explain to Joe and Frank, like everybody does, what's going on. Because that's part of the, I guess, the cover. They're like, oh, Barto and Vilno have been switching places a bunch of times. And they're like... And Joe's like, 
You're not a sheet metal worker. That's where you're wrong. My brother and I were both trained in sheet metal work as our as youth, but I never claimed it as one of my skills. My ambition was to become a scientist, a genius scientist who will change the world. <laughs> like, yeah, no, you, duh. Can't, you can't be no, Barto. You're not a sheet you don't metal. know how to be a sheet metal worker. So then, what is this? What is this nonsense? You're a sheet metal worker. I don't understand. So they find out that Alden and Mr. and uh, Fenton have both been captured as well. As well. And they get thrown in a storage room. It's with, with Roger. With Ro- Roger. Roger was legit kidding. Right. Ro- Unless he's playing the lawn game. I mean, Which I, I hope he I is. I feel like Mr. At this Alden's going to get a stomach. Roger. He's going to get a scotch full of arsenic here in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's kind of. Well, maybe the fact that he came to rescue him will mean something. Maybe. I don't know. I uh, don't he rushed up to him after he got in a car crash and was like, you stupid child. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. So um, after, the, after they explain everything, then Villeneuve says, we've told them enough. Put them in the storage room with the others. And then they find a, an air vent. Well, Fenton explains that like he got caught in the sonic trap as well, yeah. which I'm like, well, that makes sense. No one knew that thing existed uh, until the moment it was introduced. So Joe says one of the most. So they find a vent. Right. And and Joe proceeds to say one of the most sexual lines. I know. I, I caught that as well. I've managed to squeeze through some pretty small spaces before. And I said, Joe, now is not the time to talk about Iola Morton. <laughs> oh! <laughs> but, oh. yeah, he gets out. He It takes him a long time. It takes way too many words and pages. But he's, To crawl through a vent. He crawls through, through a vent. Yeah, but and, it takes... And thankfully, it's not screwed in on the other side. Yeah, he... he just, like, pushes the grate up. Which I'm like, what? Uh, but, yeah, he pushes it out. He escapes... Uh, everybody escapes. They're chasing after Vilno and Bartow and Dodson. And all of a sudden, they're seeing the truck pulling away. They're chasing them. We'll never catch them, Frank declared. Look, Joe yelled. What's that glow? His companions were startled to see a bright ball of light approaching the truck head on. Just as a collision seemed imminent, the vehicle veered off the lane. This was followed by a loud crunching sound. What's that? Alden shouted. They detected a roar as the glow grew closer. Then it suddenly vanished. Second later, Chet Morton coasted out of the darkness on his jet-propelled bicycle. Hi, fellas. Am I glad to see you? Chet, what are you doing here? Frank exclaimed. I began to worry when I didn't hear from you. The chubby youth explained. Had to put chubby in there. Yep. So did your mother and aunt. I decided to see what was going on. My car ran out of gas about a mile from here, so I came the rest of the way on my jet bike. His eyes widened. By the way, I almost ran into a truck. What happened to it? So Chet saves the freaking day with his stupid rocket bike. <laughs> rocket bike. Love it. And it turns, yeah, and there's, and their car is so badly damaged that they can't get the doors open. And I'm like, oh, that, I mean, and we know that cars explode on impact in this universe. They do. They turn into raging infernos. So, uh, uh, but they managed to get the, but the but troopers. right then a state trooper pulls up and oh, he's yeah. like, hey, did any of you see a wild kid on a bicycle? We think it turned in here. Looked as if it was on fire. Like, I'm the one, Chet admitted sheepishly. <laughs> like Chet, like the classic movie scene where he probably blazed past a billboard and the cop was yeah. like, yeah. you know, on his rocket bicycle. And then they said, uh, you know, we did a, they do a, a meddling kids line. They do. We'd have escaped if it hadn't been for that crazy friend of yours and his bicycle, the gang leader growled. Well, that's your hard luck. Joe told him. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, the cop threatens to give Chet a speeding ticket. And then and then Chet's like, I, I wish you wouldn't. And he's like, well, okay. And then they don't. And then uh, and then, then, and then they, they, they're kind of nice to Chet at the yeah, end. Yeah, at the end they're like. They're like, well, good for you. We warned you about that invention. 
Lucky for us, you didn't listen. Yeah. And so the lesson of the story is don't listen to the Hardy Boys. No. Great. I think that is a good lesson. And that's the end of our book. Yeah. The end so of the what sentences. did you think of the Sinister Signpost? So uh, I, I stand by what I said. I think uh, it's all it, an elaborate ruse set up by Miss Fenton to keep his kids occupied. Because yeah. they clearly won't hold down a job. No, they won't. They quit they, after two they days. They clearly will not hold down a job, so he needs to keep them out of trouble. They like, don't go to school. They have no college plans. He spends millions of dollars on sets and out-of-work actors to yeah. be museum curators and, and the, the entire criminals. city of Bayport is an elaborate set. It's like the Truman Show. Yeah, it's Maybe the this is show. a reality TV show. Maybe, yeah. Maybe they don't It's all know. being filmed. They're actually like the kids from the TV, the Hardy Boys TV show. Yeah. I like oh, that. And... and if that's not the case, then this is just filled with the dumbest criminals on yeah. the planet. They're, they're like, I'm going to sell my horse. I'm going to give away my horse ranch so I can buy it after I steal a racehorse. And then it's going to get sold to somebody else. And I can invent the most incredible <laughs> machines, yeah, amazing technologies. Invention. And but use I want them a fast car. <laughs> to scam for some fast steal, car. Steal a horse. S- steal a horse and get a fast car. Yeah. All right. So. Well, I think that was pretty fun. We can do one last check-in with our bingo. Oh, before yeah. Before we say goodbye. I gotta, yeah. Let's see if we get any. Because secret, I got secret codes. Secret codes. I've got that one, too. Absolutely. And. Let's see. That's all codes. I've got. I know. I, I, there's no secret passageways. There's no gunfights. No. Is Bartow a red? No, Bartow's not a red. No red no. herring. Oh, Mrs. Hardy left the house. Mrs. Though. Hardy left the house. She went to the theater. It's a tough game of bingo. It's getting harder and harder. It is a tough game of bingo. I like that they're changing it up, though. Yeah. I mean. Like I said, this is I was a hardy virgin, so the boys helped me out with that. Yeah. But uh, it I think was, that was a good way to start. Yeah. It was a good one. I'll you never I'll, have to read another maybe one. Maybe I'll again. check out some other ones. I don't no. know. Who knows? I don't know. Just listen to the podcast. It's worth a laugh. Yeah. I don't know, after a couple drinks. Yeah. It might be nice to go through. Do you have anything coming up, Jose? you have anything you want to talk about? Uh, well, I, I guess uh, one thing I can – I do work at the Science Museum, and one thing that happens on a semi-regular basis – is we do a planetarium program 21 plus, which is called the Great Space Escape. It's oh, that's a right. A combination of cool stuff in the planetarium, looking at planets, moons, constellations, but also a little bit of stand-up comedy, a little bit of science content. So, so, so come see the Great Space Escape the great and escape space from escape. space. That's right, and escape. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Jose. Yeah. Thanks for having me. After our talk with Owen Hickey, the co-owner and general manager of Celtic on Market, Jack and I went upstairs and had a glass of whiskey with bartender Aloysius Shuck. Al poured us a glass of Tyrconnell Single Malt Irish Whiskey. This is the luckiest whiskey you can imagine. It's named after an Irish racehorse who won a race in 1876 against a hundred to one odd. That is a lucky horse. These descriptions of these things are just kind of ridiculous sometimes. Oh yeah, okay, so uh, let's look at this. Nose... Sweet and crisp with orchard fruits and a malty character. Yeah, oak dryness and an oily note. An oily note doesn't sound no. good, but they say make Full, it sound like a good thing. Volume on hot buttered granary toast with honey. Okay. <laughs> I bet I'm going to taste whiskey. <laughs> that is very good. I'm not getting buttery toast. I'm also not getting buttery toast. Um, I think that, that those particular taste notes, but it is incredibly smooth. Yeah, I'm not getting the oily notes. God, but it tastes very, very good. Yeah, it's great. I can see why this is named after like the luckiest horse in history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can definitely taste the the peat 
So, Al, how long have you been bartending here? I've been here for about a year and three or four months. So, do you do a lot of uh, do you do a lot of betting on on horse racing? Being an employee here. Um. No, not comparatively speaking. No, not really. I mean, I don't know enough about it to confidently to confidently pick. Either way, but like these guys, like we, a lot of good regulars, a lot of friends. So mm-hmm. every once in a while, I'll go in on a bet or, you know, just throw some a little bit of money around. Sure. But yeah, I used to um, bartending up in Deadwood. I like gambled a bit at the beginning, and then I stopped. <laughs> if I gambled in a casino, it'd be bad because I love. I'm a big poker player. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I love like card. I love playing card games and whatnot. Um, you got it. You just got to so, have clear lines, clear limits, <laughs> and that's hard. But this is just so. I mean, anything can happen. Any race. So even the bet. I mean, even the best handicappers, you know, will go weeks and months and not hit anything. Um, but the allure of it is that on a ten cent bet, you can win thousands. Of, you know, a bunch of long shots come in depending on how people are gambling. Like you can, you know, like clean up. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you're betting on animals. There's no, I mean. Yeah, they, they're living things with good days like, and bad days. It's not like sports betting where you know they're huge. Like, I can, mm-hmm. yeah. can judge what a human's going to do better than, you know, a horse. If the horse doesn't want to run, it doesn't want to run. Yeah, yeah just um, yeah, just yesterday, I was, or two days ago, I was downstairs and a couple of our regulars were in. They were playing a pick three at Del Mar, which is picking three races in a row. The winner. So you'll usually put a couple, you know, a couple picks in the first, second, third. And he said, do you want in on it? And I said, sure, it was an $8 ticket and mm-hmm. paying $97. No, that was, That's that great. Was my, you know, that was my tip for the day, so that yeah. usually happen. That's uh, awesome. Or, or, you know, people will win big and then kind of tip everybody sure. as a nice tester. So that's, I mean, I'm sure you get that. In. All right, well, I think we're all done, but thanks so much awesome. for talking to us, Al. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really appreciate great. it. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Webster. It is a part of their network. Our music is by Danny Overdee at Round 2 Productions, and our graphic design is by Tristan Hall. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram. Special thanks to Jose Zuniga and the guys at Celtic on Market. Don't forget to join us next time for a very special episode, the Nancy Drew Drink Book Podcast number three, The Bungalow Mystery, with Casey Dalla Valley.